welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the Fish Nerds Podcast, Licensed Fishing Guide, and uh, I'm super happy to be here. Today on the show, you're going to love this, we have Isaac Daly, uh, known as Shrek from the Noob Spiro Podcast, a podcast that shows interesting spearfishing expert authorities and characters from all over the world. They dial in on the experiences and wisdom from a diverse bunch of Spiros from all over the globe. Uh, they are not flat earthers. Uh, from the spear fishing in the cold waters of the North Sea and Arctic to the clear, the tropical waters, a lot of words here, uh, in the Great Barrier Reef, we find Spiros with tips to help improve your spear fishing. Listen to uh, into Isaac Shrek Daily and Levi Turbo Brown on the Noob Spiro podcast for free at noobspiro.com. Uh, hey, uh, uh, Shrek, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Clay. Uh, I don't think my podcast description rolls off the tongue as nicely as yours does. In yeah. fact, you, you said eating fish. I started salivating. Oh, um, so yours was already much more appealing. Uh, well, is, really I, like, really I imagine like with spear fish fishing, there's not a lot of catch and releasing. No, there's there's zero. So you've got to be <laughs> you've got to be very selective. And uh, yeah, no, it does make for 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 sometimes going home with empty hands. That's for sure because you just haven't got that fish you wanted for the day. All right. Well, so uh, uh, Shrek, you're going to be co-hosting today, and uh, on the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about spear fishing. I have a lot of questions. Uh, you have a Kickstarter going on where you're putting out a new book, which you've graciously sent me a copy, and I just got ten minutes ago, so I, I haven't had a chance to to read it yet. Although I've looked at the pictures, it's very pretty. Uh, we're going to talk about how people can get started in spear fishing. Some some top tips. For people, uh, if we have time, we're going to do the news, and I have a quiz for you because I want to test your worldwide fishy knowledge. So lots going on. This is what I was afraid of. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, so you're a spear fisher, and for those who don't know, spear fishing is is a, almost like it's like uh, you're in the ocean with spears swimming around, and it must be dangerous. And so you must have life insurance. No, no, I no. don't. And but tell me about Health IQ. Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so uh, the reason I'm saying that is because we are sponsored by Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to, data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, and more. Maybe even spearfishers. I'm not sure. Uh, 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. Just like if you drive your car well, you save money on your car insurance. If you live a healthy life, you can save money on your life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash FNP. Uh, healthiq.com slash FNP. Take a quiz and see if you qualify to save money on your life insurance. Whew. Sweet. Good. Sounds like, a good, sounds like a good deal. It's a good deal. And we can, you know, just try it out uh, and see what happens. But, hey, let's talk about... Um, Let's talk about spearfishing because I'm really interested in this. Now, I, I live in mm. New Hampshire in the United States, and yep. you're, in, you're in China right now. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, yeah, I am in China. I've been here for nearly a year now teaching English. I've had a little bit of a break away from um, Australia, and I come from New Zealand originally where, uh, where it all began in the water for me. Uh, yeah, and uh, moved to Australia in my early 20s, and now I'm in China for a year. Uh, and not long now, though, I'll be headed back to Australia and probably New Zealand as well. And uh, because I've been really, really missing my spearfishing here, the water is like brown, cold, <laughs> and the fish they seem to catch here are just tiny. Um, so not, not, well, they, not great fun. There's a lot of people in China. Maybe they ate all the big ones. <laughs> have you um so. have you eaten any bizarre like to you bizarre fish while you've been in china i know like different cultures have different they eat the heads or different parts of the body that we uh, i want to say westerners but southerners or whatever you're from uh maybe don't eat back home one of the best and worst things about living in china is you they don't speak a lot of english uh when you get away from the major cities so they'll tell you the name of a fish but really you you don't know what you're you're eating. One of my favorite dishes here is like swan sai yu, which I found out is like um, a small catfish from muddy uh, rivers that are often polluted. So um, just tells you how far off my taste buds are with the uh, Chinese spices. But, oh man, uh, I, I think I've had um, I think I've had what are the what are the uh, the sorry the the puffer fish that yes. blow up the one that yeah. kills you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was recently over in Japan for eight days as well, and they were serving it up there, but I didn't actually get to try it there. But I'm pretty sure I've eaten it here in China. Puffer, oh my God. And you didn't die. 
<laughs> no, they're pretty good at um, like the the guy. Well, I don't know about the guys in China, but the guys in Japan go through like a rigorous like apprenticeship where they really get taught how to do this thing, and uh, they they. I don't think anyone's died from eating one for quite a while. I mean, if you're doing it at home, it's probably not a, it's not a DIY fish. You've, you've got to get some formal training to kind of take out and make sure you don't poison yourself. But Right, because they've got a bacteria called uh, tetrodotoxin, right? And that's, that's what exactly gets you. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's dangerous stuff. So, yeah, well, so don't eat puffer fish without an expert. Um, but you're enjoying China. You're teaching English there. You know, I thought about traveling and teaching English because uh, being a native speaker, I always thought it'd be fun to, like, travel the world and do it. Are you enjoying it? It has been really fun. Um, but like you sort of said, like, China's, um, you know, the, 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 the way things are here, it's still very much a developing country. So, you know, there's a lot of pollution in the waterways, which is a little bit depressing to see when you're a waterman. And when you like your fishing, it's kind of like a little bit off-putting. But in terms of like culture, lifestyle, language of food, amazing place, amazing place. But for fishing, pump out. Oh, good. so you can't wait to get back into some good waters, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. So, hey, so you spearfish, and this is new for me. In New Hampshire, the only kind of spearfishing we do is in rivers during these spawning sucker runs. And so it's not the okay. same as what you're doing. We're not snorkeling or we're not diving. We're just throwing spears in the water. Uh, oh, and we, wow. also, we also can shoot them with a bow and arrow with a string attached, the cord attached. I've and, seen that. That looks cool. Yeah. And in some parts in the United States, there's a lot of uh, – I mean, we do spearfishing on the coast. There people do that. But on the inland waters, and we have a lot of inland waters, people do ice fishing, spearing for like pi- northern pike and that sort of thing. So that's a very different kind of spearing than you're doing. You're mm, free diving okay. with spear guns, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, some parts of the world, um, and I was listening to one of your, your episodes the other day, you had a woman on that does it on scuba, and I, I started off that way in New Zealand, but it's uh, it's it's kind of like um, uh, the freedive spearfishing community are kind of like, they, they ride off scuba dive spearfishing, uh, but I have a different idea about it, but yeah, no, we, we do it fully on, on one breath of air, and uh, people think it's more challenging and more sporting, I don't know about that, I think some parts of the world, like in Canada where they do it and where it's really super cold, I can understand why guys are doing it on um, scuba, because it's, uh, it's just too difficult with all the amount of wetsuit you've got on and stuff like that, um, you really got to get, get, get down quite deep and it's dark and so you, you need scuba I think, but uh, yeah. Oh, we, we, we practice definitely breath hold spearfishing, so um, it's very challenging and a lot of things to learn, super steep learning curve, um, and like you sort of alluded to, it's, it's not super safe sometimes, so you've got to learn about the risk and put different things in place to sort of manage that risk, but uh, it's, it's, I think because of that, partly because of that, it's really, really enjoyable, and I was never that guy that could sit on the boat and just line fish, I always wanted to get in the water and see everything, so... Yeah, I've had that. Inevitable. I've had that urge. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I was shark fishing, and um, we had a uh, you know a chum slick and tons of little fish in the slick. And I just knew there was something big hiding in there. And I just knew yeah. if I jumped in the water, I'd get to see it. But the captain of the boat wouldn't let me put my snorkel on and go because of the Ooh. mako's, and he was uh, concerned yeah. about my safety. Um, so, have, in in spear fishing, have you ever come across a fish that would you know could eat you? Oh, yeah. In Australia, when you're spearfishing... Uh, oh, it's like, Australia. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, and even New Zealand, um, you know, you, you're, you're always kind of seeing sharks. In New Zealand, it's uh, bronze whalers. Uh, you know, if you're in the Pacific, in any of the Pacific Islands, it's, you know, a lot of reef sharks. Occasionally, you get oceanic hammerheads, and they come in for a look. Uh, New Zealand also get the, the, the occasional mako, and in Australia, you've got a lot of bull sharks and um i'm not quite sure it's a it's some type of whaler shark that we get in brisbane where i was and quite often we'll see tiger sharks and occasionally the uh even the odd great white so we, we kind of get to see it all i haven't personally seen a great white but i've dove with 15 foot tiger sharks and numerous bull sharks and and whalers so and lots of reef sharks and uh i mean it's definitely kind of a learning curve getting used to you know reading their body language and and making sure that you're you're using the correct body language to kind of deter any interactions but bad things still do happen so it's part of the sport Right, but it doesn't happen often enough to deter you. Like, it's not that common, really, when you consider how many interactions people have with sharks versus how many people get attacked. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, sharks are super chilled. Uh, 
you know. Um, <laughs> I've never heard anyone say sharks are super chill. <laughs> <laughs> no, they really they are. And like spearfishermen have got, you know, there's kind of you get negative raps. The, me- the media will get hold of a picture of a of a spearfisherman poking a shark, but that's just like one of the strategies we'll use to deter them. And like a, a spear gun um, shaft, when you push a shark, it's so big you you don't even break their skin. So really, you're just sending them a message like, okay, don't come near me. I'm also in the ocean and I've got something that can poke you so there's easier meals elsewhere but honestly i don't even think they're really interested in eating us it's more of a competition uh type type mentality occasionally when you have shot a fish and it's and it's around it's still alive on the end of your line um you'll get you'll get sharks coming and they'll go for it and uh and then it does really become a competition um but like you say it doesn't happen super often um but you know definitely in in the waters of brisbane you need to learn how to get used to diving with them and kind of what to do and you need to know when it's time to get out of the water and move somewhere else right on well hey well let's um let's jump into your book you've written Mm. a book uh, Mm. called 99 tips to get better at spearfishing and Mm. right now you can uh people can go to kickstarter.com and i'll look put a link up at fishnerds.com so they can get to it and to support the book this is already available on amazon but you've Mm. kind of rebuilt this book as a kickstarter project you want to talk about that a little bit yeah cool oh uh, yeah, yeah, no. So, I mean, we interview spearfishing experts and, you know, people from all over the world every other day. And uh, part of the reason Levi and I started, you know, the spearfishing podcast and blog was really because when we got started, there was not a lot of information around. It was um, very piecemeal and difficult to get hold of the right information. And there's like, there's a very steep learning curve. You know, you've got holding your breath, you know, dealing with sharks. Um, the equipment is a, there's a big learning curve. I I remember struggling with, you know, I mean, even what type of snorkel to buy. I mean, it just seems like a simple bit of kit, but you know, the, the more, you know, the, the kind of the less, you know, and, uh, and, uh, even finding a a buddy, you know, like spearfishing, you really need to have, um, good people around you that know what they're doing. So finding a buddy, no one wants to go with an inexperienced guy. So we started the new Sparrow with that in mind and really got interviewing all these guys and, one thing we realize is a lot of people just consume, you know, huge amounts of information, but um, they really don't get much out of it. So our book's like, it's not real long. We've just kind of tried to boil big bits of advice down into an actionable sort of tip. Um, so just guys can implement it into their spearfishing straight away because it's still a learn by doing sport. But hopefully like our, the book will give people some information to slowly integrate and improve their diving practice overall. Yeah, That's looking the, look looking through the book right now. It's it, but first of all, it's beautiful. The photos are unreal. They're just they oh, make thanks. you want to get in the water. They're just, it's like a it's like yeah. a beautiful magazine. And what I'm, yeah. what I'm liking just the quick this is my this is my first impression. Uh, mm. I like that you've got 99 tips, but each tip isn't like four pages of filler. If they get right to it, they just the tip comes up. Like for example, uh, tip number 12, increasing bottom time, and right away it jumps into like one paragraph. With the tip, and then it moves on to number three, to number thirteen. Just yeah. goes one to the next, uh, and yeah. you've organized them in a way that makes sense. Uh, be a great bathroom reader, uh, and even if people yeah. aren't uh, aren't spearfishers, just the underwater photography in here is stunning. Yeah. Who took the photos? Oh, we've 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 built a kind of a network and relationships with some of the best underwater photographers that, you know in the spearfishing world. So they kindly sort of donated their works to us. Um, Jesse Cripps and Michael Takash from Underwater Ally Productions are a couple of the guys. Um, Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving in America. We've had David Ochoa from uh, he's got his own film production studio. Some of these guys, their their photography is phenomenal, and not enough people kind of get to see it. So it's, it was great to actually be able to use it and put it in our book and you know make it so visually appealing to people one one thing i will say you know you said our, our information was kind of like you know one paragraph and it's kind of succinct advice we actually tried to do that because like like um you, you can read you can read and read and read and get nothing out of it and it, it, like it's you don't get anything to take away we try to make it like i say i use this word actionable to describe it but um, guys also don't really want to read a lot. They'd rather look at a picture and then mm-hmm. think about an idea and go away. And uh, like you say, like you, you said it like humorously about reading it on the bathroom, but I think that's actually probably one of the better places to read it because really just read one tip, digest it, and try and apply it to your spearfishing. That's all we really wanted. 
Yeah, and you don't have to. It's not. A, it's not a narrative. You don't have to read it in order. You can flip. Yeah. Oh, I want to read about free diving, so I'm going to go to yeah, yeah. tip number forty-four or whatever yeah. it happens to be. You just you just go to that. You go to that section, which is great, and it's really beautiful. And congratulations. Uh, so, like I said, you. like I said, you put this out already on Amazon, but now you're redoing yep. it on Kickstarter. Tell us why you are reissuing this on Kickstarter. What's going on? So. So the, I mean, the first the first version was very much just a strip down, just the information. There's no pictures in our Amazon version. Well, so that sucks. Version, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of guys still want a paper book, and I mean, spearfishing is a very visual sport. So you just give guys a book to read with no pictures. They kind of like, where's the pictures at, man? And That's right. uh, so, so we did it. We we just uh, we went through our book. We we re-edited it, and uh, the more you write something, the kind of the better you get at it. So we we find, mm-hmm. found ways to say things in a in a different way and, 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 and pictures to match. So, yeah, that's kind of what it's about. And we, we just wanted to fund uh, a big print run because far out, it's it's such a mission. Um, shipping and physical products everywhere these days, it's just it's so costly and difficult to organize. And, you know, we're not like some huge corporation. We're just a couple of blokes that wrote a book. So right. That, that's, you're, not, you're not a huge so corporation yet, but once this book becomes a bestseller, <laughs> look out. Well, <laughs> Spiro well, will be on everyone's lips. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to guys like you that got on and backed it. You know, we're actually doing pretty well. It's just, it's just gone over the 50% mark. I've been hitting refresh on my Kickstarter page all day. And, and thank you for getting on, Clay. I really appreciate your support. I'll yeah. have to get on and return serve on your Patreon page. Sure. Well, it's it's Fish Nerd's policy. This is actually uh, I'm the only I'm, I'm, I run the whole show here, but it's our policy, my policy, to if I have a a someone running a Kickstarter campaign on my show, it's because I like what they're doing, and I always back um, every project I have on the show. So if I have it on the show, yeah, I'm going to back it. I'm not going to just talk about it. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and yeah. it's really important. This this whole crowdfunding thing is so important because. Yeah. It, it, this is this is the real like people doing real work, and so if you're not already following along, I, I always follow Kickstarter and I just search for fishing every yeah. couple of weeks, and I oh, and I try to try to support these people just like I want. Uh, just like you said, it's not big corporations. This is just a person doing a project, making mm. art, and yeah. this is where the real art's happening now. And this yeah. is how we support yeah. it. So put the money in the hat. Yeah, no, and like fish, fish nerds is very much like Noob Spiro, you know. You got yeah. you serve a, a passionate audience of uh, of Spiros, of uh, fishermen, people that are interested in you know the marine environment, and uh, I very much appreciate what you said. Uh, yeah, and 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 it's it's cool. Kickstarter is great for this. I love the fact that it's this platform that allows people to do that, and uh, you don't have to be in a big company anymore. You can just bring your crowd, and away you go. So I really I really like Kickstarter in terms of that. That's beautiful. So you built it yourself, you own it, and it's yours, and it's great. So, hey, let me ask you, first of all, what is a noob? And, like, for, for those of us who don't speak uh, Australian or New Zealand, and yeah. what does noob mean? So, so like, n- noob come from, I, th- I believe, the, the, British, the British Navy. Um, it, it, comes <laughs> from, it comes from noobie. And then it was shortened to noob. And by the time it made it to online games and, and first-person shooter computer games, um, people couldn't spell N-E-W-N-E-W-B. <laughs> so it just changed to noob like it sort of sounds. And so oh. now it's noob. And so we got hold of that language. And um, part of the reason why we call it noob spear is we really wanted to pull the ego out of spearfishing because sometimes, you know, there are these – there are egotistical people that like to hold up big fish and, you know, talk about how strong they are, I guess. But so part of the new spirit thing, like with guys that are getting getting started, you really don't want them to get hold of a big ego straight away. So we called ourselves <laughs> a noob spirit to kind of, you know, take the take take the Mickey out of ourselves, I guess, and uh, and keep keep it keep it kind of low key. So it's very yeah. much a funny a, fu- a funny kind of thing for us. And and Spiro is just like you know spear fisherman just sounds ponderous. It's too long. Mm-hmm. So um, people nowadays call themselves Spiros or or Spira if you're a girl. So, oh, I love um, it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So noob Spiro, that's where it comes. Hey, so so you were, you're from you're from, you're from New Zealand, but through Australia. Mm. Yeah. What what part of Australia? Uh, yeah, Brisbane in Queensland on the on the east coast there, and uh, yep. it's a beautiful beautiful part of the world because we've we've kind of got you get the tropical fish in the coral reef, mm-hmm. and then you get some of the really nice tasting um, southern species that come up in the colder water. So we, it's kind of the best of both worlds. The the diving is challenging though. A lot of the spearfishing is you know sixty foot plus. Oh, forget uh, it. And I'm so, out. I'm out. I'm yeah, out. yeah, yeah. And so like <laughs> when you when you're learning, you're just like. 
man, I really just want to find a place where I can even get down to the bottom. And so it's a tough place to learn, but uh, a great place to go spearfishing, that's for sure. Yeah. So we have uh, Fish Nerds correspondents, uh, people who work yeah. on our show all over the world. And we have a correspondent uh, called Luke Chamings, and he's from uh, from Adelaide, Australia. And he fishes okay. the Murray, Murray River for Murray Cod. He's a lure maker. Uh, he owns uh, Shamos Lures. I'm going to connect you guys. Uh, because maybe you could pull some st- when you get back to Australia. Maybe you could pull a story together with you know with him. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, com- cool. Complete fish nerd. And again, he makes handmade lures, really beautiful. And uh, he he has a he fishes with a guy named Captain Spiro. Okay. Like All like right. who? Okay, but th- but they fish out of a tin boat. They don't dive. <laughs> so <laughs> it's strange little world. But so a- when you said Spiro, I'm like it must mean something different. I don't know, but it doesn't. It means what it means. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves. All right. Hey, hey want, want to do some news? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's jump in. And you brought news with you today. I did. I did. There was a, a, a wicked let... article published. So I I'm... wanted to talk a bit about it. Why don't you take the lead then on it and I'll jump in. Legend. I mean, I think you actually found the news too. So it was on, published on theinertia.com. And uh, one of the McNulty brothers published a fantastic article on there. His name's Rhett. There's actually three of these brothers, or there, or there was. One of them died, I believe. Do you know and, them? Uh, I know one of them. I know Clark. And uh, mm-hmm. he's. I think he's the older brother. He worked in Brisbane briefly, so I had a few good chats with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, passionate fisher. Or the whole family is passionate watermen in general. And uh, I like this article because it's kind of like, you know, pointing towards where spearfishing's going more than where it's, um, you know, more than more than kind of where it's been. And uh, I, I like this this competition they're talking about, the Kirk McNulty White Sea Bass competition. It's more about, um, you know, repopulating the white sea bass population over there. And uh, for every entry into the competition, two white sea bass, uh, you know, are, are released back into the ocean. So that's pretty cool. And yeah, so the headline the headline is how spearfishing evolved from hunting to a sport uh leading the conservation of marine environments and that's kind of mm. Mm. get you there. What was uh, your take on it? Uh well, if I funny, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> so I this you know, for those who are listening, we we it was uh 3 hours ago I was just waking up and yeah. I don't know what time is in China, but three hours ago we we're talking, and you're like, "I got this Kickstarter thing going on. I can get on today." And I'm like, "Okay, as fast <laughs> as I can. Here's some show notes. Here's some news. Let's jump in." And so I actually didn't do my homework on this. That's why I was hoping uh, you would lead it, and I could just jump in after. <laughs> I love your spontaneity. Yeah, look, yeah. I, I think that the, what I got from the article was it's kind of like you know, there's a shift in the general attitude. Uh, you know, these guys are far more proactive. Look, competitions, spearfishing competitions, and initiatives are popping up all over the place that are really kind of partner about partnering with you know different agencies to have good conservation outcomes um i mean this this kirk mcnulty white sea bass uh competition is one example in new zealand they've got a the biggest lake in new zealand they have a problem with invasive um invasive bloody catfish oh uh, what kinds so, bull, bull nose okay bull nose. um so they're not a real big fish but they every year they have an annual catfish cull in this lake topo and uh, one of my friends actually helped to organize it and he's actually well this year he didn't win it he was very angry but uh yeah we're seeing these kind of competitions pop up everywhere and um down down in new south wales uh the competitions that they have there annually they share the data with the the, the government agencies and uh, it gives them you know a really good set of data to make more informed decisions about you know um fishing species closures and things like that so i I really i really like this article and uh, and i like what it's pointing to so yeah and there's a lot of people don't realize the connection between people who um who fish and hunt and and conservation efforts like uh, most most fishers most hunters uh, have a conservation mindset they want Mm. they want the uh, stuff to go forward and you know not just the work they're doing like with stuff like this but their fees that they spend on their hunting and fishing equipment, a lot of that goes to conservation efforts. So they're they're usually meeting it, you know, in, in different areas as well. So yeah. I love it. I love that they're doing the thing. I also like that it's bringing attention to um, to spearfishing as as a sport, um, not mm. just as a hunt. And it's kind of interesting. And for me, this is all brand new. I never give any real thought yeah. to spearfishing. So I'm yeah, I am right. so noob. I am such well, a like, noob. <laughs> a couple of episodes I was listening to Fish Nerds and you I, I think it was a couple of episodes, maybe it was one episode ago, and you and your daughter Zoe were yeah. chatting about about uh fishing 
fishing spawns and you're going to do one species a week. I thought that was a fantastic conversation to have as well because there is kind of like an ethical responsibility towards, you know, just thinking and planning about how you fish. And it's just like the, the thing I like about your show is I think it's raising that awareness. People are thinking far more about their environment and, and the impact they're having. So it's cool. Yeah, that's how we keep it. So, yeah, great stuff. Really cool. And uh, is there, so when you're spearfishing, uh, I, I know like, uh, on the East Coast United States, a lot of spearfishing for lionfish, invasive lionfish has become very, very yep. popular. Yeah, yeah. And, and collecting them. Um, but it allows you to be like really selective of species. Like, do you have like uh, catch limits, slot limits, and size restrictions on the spearfishing? And how do you be sure you're catching the right size fishes? So, fisheries management in australia is pretty piecemeal it's run on a state-by-state basis uh so you've really got to kind of be informed you know you know through various government departments the laws change the licensing changes in queensland you don't need a license in new south wales which is just over the border you do and you pay for that uh and because you pay for it they seem to have a lot more publications available for recreational fishermen but uh, no, it's very much kind of uh, finding out as you go, which is not a really good way to learn. Um, but yeah, what's your management like in the US? Is it the same? Is it state by state? So there's there's federally protected fishes. So there's some fish that, are, that the whole country just says, oh, nope, you can't fish for those. Those are endangered. Uh, but okay. then everything else is state by state. And then the, the states don't always agree. So like in New Hampshire, where I live, uh, we border uh, Vermont, uh, Maine and Massachusetts and and Canada, and so then yeah. there are rivers like uh, the the most uh, noticeable one is a river between New Hampshire and Maine, and okay. New Hampshire and uh, sorry New Hampshire and Vermont and New Hampshire and Vermont have to get together and discuss interstate water restrictions, because okay. Vermont doesn't agree with new biologists don't agree with New Hampshire biologists on the best management practices. Yeah, and okay. so there's that debate. So when you're fishing those waters, you have to like really almost be a lawyer to uh, to <laughs> to figure out what you're allowed to catch. You know, they have slot limits yeah. on the fish. So like if you catch a walleye, for example, uh, that's between 15 and 18 inches, you can keep it. If it's between 18 and 24, you can't. Above 24, you can. Below, six, I mean, there's all these like, and then if it's the oh, third wow. Monday of of the equinox, you can't touch the fishes, and there's just all these rules. So wow. wow. It gets heavy that, and confusing. Are, are the recreational fishermen part of that kind of that management approach there? Yes. Um, well, we do a lot of. Uh, I mean, we're we're part of it in that they consider our points of view uh, at the hearings and stuff. But uh, right. I don't know how much data is collected from recreational fishers. I I don't submit any data, and I'm a guide. Okay. I'm on the. I'm I'm fishing every day, and I'm not okay. giving much wow. information to them. Although I do go to hearings and give my opinion on yeah, things. Yeah. Um, which is usually my opinion is less uh, less less anglers agree with me than than biologists because <laughs> I'm usually on I'm pretty hard on the conservation side of things I'm pretty supportive of most but when if a biologist says these numbers are low I'm like okay don't catch them and then the other guys are yeah. like but I want to catch them and I want to use lead and I want to kill things you know I'm like well it's, yeah. you know kill something yeah, else yeah. you know yeah, so we have yeah. disagreements. And, uh- I think that's I think that's a good approach to err on the side of caution. Do you, do you guys have a lot of c- citizen science or like around the management of your fisheries? You get that in the ocean. So okay. the cod the cod fishery, uh, which has been collapsed in the last few years, uh, the the boat captains do a lot of tracking of numbers there and work with scientists to try to get data for them. And then there's a lot of uh, fishing groups out in the ocean who will fish for rough species and share that data with the scientists. Uh, okay. And they try to all work together. It's not they don't always agree, as you imagine. Like money drives a lot of things. So if you're a commercial fisherman or you fish for you know for a living, uh, and the yeah. conservation biologists are saying, yeah, uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't eat codfish anymore. There's a big problem uh, between the two uh, groups, and that's the that's yeah. the hardest thing. I can understand too, like yeah. um, from from both perspectives. And uh, well, the hard thing, one. the hard—I'll tell you—the hardest thing is. So we have a, a actually one of my correspondents in the show is a shark and cod fisherman. Okay, and but it's his living, okay. right? And he's doing everything within the law. So it's tricky when the laws don't match you know, what you know about the conservation efforts. And uh, he's also a cod fisherman, and not commercial. He is uh, like a charter captain, and. So the cod fishery is shut down even for charter captains. So I went out with him this spring to go fishing for um, for pollock, which are in the cod family. And we caught cod everywhere we stopped. 
giant, wow. not, not giant cod, but they were all like, you know, three, wow, four wow. feet long, big fish, mm-hmm. really fun to catch. And we couldn't stop catching them. And it was, it was almost like they become a hassle. <laughs> and for him, that was very frustrating because he's trying to make a living. He's got clients in the boat who aren't catching fish they can take home with them. And he's saying the cod fishery is no good, but all we're catching is cod fish. So that kind of like visual differentiation between what we're seeing on the water and what the scientists say are happening. Uh, and yeah. what what we're seeing is a conservation win. We're seeing the cod coming back. Yeah. And so he's thinking, cod are back, let's go catch them. And yeah. I'm thinking, those are still historically small cod. And if we give a few uh, more yeah. years, we're going to have big numbers of cod. So let's keep catching Pollock. But I can see the problem. Like the, it's it's a big yeah. push-pull, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's 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 good to see there's some interaction. I mean, like recreational fishermen, I mean, do you keep a fishing log? Say it again. Do you keep a fishing log? If I was smart, I would. Uh, oh. <laughs> I do not keep a fishing <laughs> log. I, 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 well, you know what it is, is, is because I'm writing all the time and I'm blogging and I'm making the podcast, yeah. my, my, this, all this work is my fishing log, but it's not yeah, accurate. Yeah. It's not good. It, it, yeah, you know, yeah. couldn't rely on it, but yeah, I don't. Do you? Uh, no, we, I'm, in the, I'm in the process of doing it. I mean, we've talked to so many guys that do do it, and, and they just swear by it because, you know, you get to replicate results and you can see how the weather and, you know, pressure systems. Um, oh, you, you're good? I'm good. You, yep. <laughs> you can, and, the, and the moon phases affect your local fishery, and you, and you can sort of notice trends and study them over time, you know, just like scientists do, I guess. But I think sometimes recreational fishermen are a better place to do it than than – scientists are because well number one we're free diving so like we don't have copious amounts of bubbles pouring out the side of us either so we don't scare away everything in a 20 meter radius so sometimes we seem to see more or different things than than um people on scuba do so but yeah I, i'm, I'm better I mean, it's like assignments for what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to run over each other. It's important that, um, like you said, I think you're saying is is I think all 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 information is valuable, and I, mm. I think the better data you keep, the more help you are the scientist, and yeah. and you can meet somewhere in, in the middle with all that stuff. So in the middle. Uh, you, by the way, your book your your book says keep a fishing log, and you're yeah. not doing it. So shame on you. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> I, well, I haven't been spearfishing since last year, actually. So, but but when I do go for the next one, I will log it. I should have brought that practice along with me. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, maybe I'll I, maybe I'll start logging my open. I'm I'm ice fishing. I'm on the ice still for another month. But once the ice okay. melts, maybe I will start logging my freshwater fishing trips. I just bought a new yep. boat, and so maybe I'll keep good track of all the fish Wicked. we catch, where we catch them, moon phases, pressure systems, temperature, all that. I'll stuff. send you. I'll send you a free copy of our spearfishing log. You might just have to tailor it a little bit for what you're doing. Or or maybe I got to go and spearfish fish illegally in New Hampshire. So, <laughs> Although we do have coastal spearfishing. We have listeners uh, who do spearfish. Uh, Michael Crooker is one of our supporters, and he spearfishes uh, in New Hampshire for striped bass. So, okay. Yeah, he, we do have listeners who do it, and they're going to love hearing about you, which is great. And they'll probably give you some money, which is even better. <sighs> Hey, let's talk about uh, diving in Antarctica. What to wear in polar conditions? Have you ever, ever dove in Antarctica? No, the closest I've I've gone is underwater caves down the down sort of the top of the South Island of New Zealand, and that was bad enough. But that water there was only eight or nine degrees. These guys are diving in like I can get minus two sometimes without freezing. Oh, because salt, so, right? The salinity yeah, yeah. makes it doesn't freeze. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So you've dove in that, and this is an article from Jonathan Sucks. It's com, and yeah. we'll links up at fishnerds.com. You sent this to me, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so when you're diving in cold water, what's your uh, trick for keeping warm? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm an ice fishing person. I live on top of the ice, but we don't get wet. And so we don't, even though we might be fishing in minus 27, we're not wet in minus 27. So you guys are wet <laughs> and in cold weather. Tell me about uh, how do you get ready for that? I mean, like in your part of the world, they wear dry suits, some of the guys on scuba. So, yeah. you know, you you are actually dry. You can wear your clothes under one of those suits. <laughs> it's pretty pretty bulky. Yeah. You feel like uh, the Michelin man. But uh, but nevertheless, it's it's a comfortable, warm way to do it. Some of them have even got warm air rebreathers in them, 
So, um, pretty pretty comfort, pretty comfortable. The new suits we're all wearing now, we're sport compared to guys twenty years ago. We've got these open cell wetsuits. You can wear a much thinner suit, and a, and a and a wetsuit works on the principle that a, a very thin layer of water circulates around your body within within the suit, and and that you know holds your body temperature or or fairly close to it. So you know you do adapt your thickness, but this guy was travelling to Antarctica in uh, I believe a seven mil suit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was fine, uh, apart from his face, which he said froze off and went numb in five minutes. Oh, of but, course um, it did. <laughs> but the leaps forward in gear, are, are, we're, we're pretty sport these days, I think. Yeah, technology is so cool. And, and coming in the future, who knows what they're going to come up with as this sports grow and people have more money somehow to to do all the to buy all the gear and and yeah. buy better technology. Um, yeah. Have you ever been so cold like you thought you were going to die when spearfishing? Uh, no, no. Nope. You, 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 if you stay hydrated, uh, generally, you know, a couple of hours out in the water. If you're cold, you just you head back to the boat or the shore and and warm back up again. No, I haven't. I haven't really. Uh, like I said, diving in the in, a, in caves, the Ruwaka Cave system, uh, the top of the South Island in New Zealand. Uh, you dive sort of a hundred meters into this hill, and uh, and then you get out and you take all your gear off and you go for a bit of a walk. That was that was freezing. That was terrible. Uh, I had an old school closed cell suit, uh, near just normal neoprene. It was almost like a surfing wetsuit, and I was freezing there. That's probably the coldest I've ever been. Uh, that was like, you know, you, your head goes underwater, you've got a headache. So, And have you had, because when I'm ice fishing and we're taking photos on the ice, we're, uh, we notice that our... Um, equipment fails constantly yeah so when you're underwater uh when you're underwater do you do you find your equipment fails more is it not a problem because it's warmer because it can't get you know too far below freezing well yeah it's spot on like um if you're on scuba you have problems with your with your regulators the diaphragm and stuff like that freezing up but um mostly for free diving or or free you know breath hold spearfishing you might have a dive watch uh, and so the batteries, you know, the batteries do not like the cold. So they definitely, um, you know, your battery goes from, from hero to zero in a, in a matter of minutes, it seems at times. And, uh, a little bit like when you're going to record a podcast interview. <laughs> but, we, we uh, have that happen, uh, with, you know, with iPhones, you know, we're on the ice yeah. taking photos and when it's super cold, they just turn off. They just, yeah, yeah. and we tape, uh, we tape uh, hot pads to the back of them, so keep them to keep them uh, from freezing on the ice. That's awful too if you're like yeah. catch and release because the only thing you would have had was a photo. That's it. That's yeah. it. But now, but now I've got ice shanties on the lake with uh, heaters in them and solar panels and chargers and all <laughs> the things we need. So we are we, we like to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't yeah. we don't want to be in pain. We know. <laughs> uh, f- part of fishing for all of us, I think, is about relaxation. You know, sure. For me, like being face down on the surface of the ocean and looking down, even if I'm not spearing something, is just is really relaxing. And I know I've got good mates that do pole fishing, line fishing, and and they love it for the same reasons. It's just a, a bit of a getaway from. Uh, modern sort of breakneck speed lives i think well i saw a guy on facebook the other day and i'm going to try and get him on the show here and he likes to swim with shad uh during the during the spring migration and he has a football helmet with a full-on fishing rod attached to it uh and he's he's and and he has a gopro on there and he swims (laughs) in the schools of shad fishing while he's swimming with the fish uh and Which I think is remarkable. I can't wait to get him on because he doesn't look like he's relaxing. Uh, he yeah. <laughs> looks like he's working. <laughs> so we'll try to get I him on. I can just imagine doing that with a football a football helmet on your head. That's that's he's a character. That one. I'd, he's definitely worth getting on the show. Oh, I I got to get him on the show. Hopefully he can uh, he can carry a conversation because uh, yeah. it's, it's not always the case. So yeah. All right. Hey, I got to do a quick quick promotion here. Uh, this episode's brought to you by our listeners over at Patreon.com. If you are a fan of the Fish Nerds and want to help support our show. We're hoping that all listeners give us a dollar an episode. If everybody did that, we would actually, if, if everyone, if every listener gave a dollar an episode, $4 a month, I could make a living podcasting. I could, I could quit my other job and just talk on a microphone. Uh, I can hire people to edit my show for me. I could pay correspondence and do all the things that this show should be doing. Uh, and maybe I could fly to Australia and go spearfishing someday if the if you guys would support the show. So patreon.com slash fishnerds help us crowdfund the show. $4 a month is what I'm asking for. 
However, some people give more. If you give us two dollars uh, per episode, that's so eight dollars a month. I'll send you a Fish Nerds Who Rag, which will keep your neck warm as long as you're not underwater. Uh, if at five dollars an episode, I'll send you a Fish Nerds beanie. So that's twenty bucks a month, and you don't have to you don't have to contribute forever. You can do that for a while until I send your prize, and you could drop off if you want to. But I don't want you to. Uh, or you could give at the highest level. We have two high levels to give. We have the twenty-five dollar per episode level, which is our sponsorship level. And we have two people giving us that much money, which is a huge amount of money, and we appreciate it. The first one is Lopes Tax, uh, lopestax.com. Our friend Josh Lopes uh, is a tax uh, accountant in Massachusetts. And if you need tax help or accounting work, go to lopestax.com. And the other one is Rich Collins from Thirst Productions. He does SEO, website management, all kinds of cool computer stuff. He's a total nerd. And he's also our fly fishing correspondent. So he's he works for the show for free and he gives us money, which makes him a fish nerd's hero. Uh, and you go to thirstproductions.com or fishnerds.com, find a link and check him out. But go to patreon.com slash fishnerds. Help us crowdfund our show. It's how we keep going. Show is also brought to you, as you heard, by uh, Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people like runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, and more. Uh, over half of all Health IQ customers save one third on their life insurance. And you need life insurance if you've got a family to make sure your kids are taken care of. Uh, my kids said if. I die, they're going to buy chihuahuas. So that's how they'll spend their money. How will your kids spend your death money? Uh, ask them. But go to healthiq.com slash FNP. Find out if you qualify to save money on your life insurance. Uh, and you can take a little quiz there. Uh, Trustpilot, which uh, is a website that tests out all these things, gives them 9.6 out of a possible 10 points. Uh, and I took the test. Uh, and they called me 30 seconds after taking the test. So be ready for a phone call uh, because they do want you to buy the stuff as well. Um, but you don't have to buy it, but they, they want your customers. And if you can save money, why not, why not do it? So health IQ slash FNP. Cool. All right. I just, I just, ahead. while you were, while you were ch- chatting away there talking about Patreon, I went and had a look at your page. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, if, if, if I went on and say, I, I make a fifty dollar donation. Can I get a beanie? Yes, but I we uh, uh, well, yeah, I'll mail you one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. cool, cool. All yeah. right, it looks cool. I I haven't yeah, used, I haven't looked much into the Patreon side of things, but it looks like you got a cool thing going there. Well, you'd like it because, like, right now, if you look at there, I'm making a hundred and two dollars per episode. Right, so every time I make a podcast, I get one hundred and two dollars, which helps cover all of our fees. It costs this show costs about two fifty a month to make. Uh, yep. Plus, I want to buy better equipment and upgrade things, and microphones are expensive, so that money mm-hmm. uh, goes to help pay for the show, plus production costs and other things. Uh, and maybe once in a while, I'll take my wife out for dinner. Right, so all that adds yeah. up. Uh, and as a as a as an artist, which making a podcast makes you an artist, right? Because you're yeah. creating, you're creating something every single week. Uh, you deserve to get paid for making things. And if you've yeah, got yeah. A, li- a listener base who likes you, saying, "Hey, if, uh, if I'm releasing a one show every fortnight, I don't know what a fortnight is, but that's your schedule." <laughs> um, <laughs> you can say, "Give me, you know, one uh, or uh, one Australian dollar every fortnight, and uh, which is like I don't know, twenty five cents every four weeks." I have no idea what a fortnight is. Um, but it, a fortnight it, is two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. That's, right. a, that's a British English thing. It is a funny one. You're right. Uh, yeah, but it, but anyway, so you could have your fans donating money every time you produce a show for them, and they will, uh, which is amazing. Uh, the fact that anyone it's, gives us any money is amazing. Yeah. It's a little bit like the Kickstarter thing, and like we were talking about earlier, it's a cool kind of way to, to do things. Um, I, I might have to put a translation up for Fortnite. It is, does bi-weekly work? It works, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to move on, I was wondering a little bit about the cameras that people are attaching to their fishing poles now. Do you know much about them? Have you seen the technology they're using? What do you think of it? Uh, so I have an AquaView ice fishing camera that I can attach to my rod and I can view the fish as I'm jigging for them through the ice. And so far, uh, I find to take too much work to set up uh, and it's distraction from actually catching fish. But when you do see a fish on the screen, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Like, it's so yeah. fun. And I've had kids... Uh, 
I've had a, I've had a underwater camera uh, facing the fishing hook where the fish kid is fishing, and so you can watch the bait and watch the fish try to uh, attack the bait. And I've had little kids stare at one fish for two hours before they finally caught the fish, and then the fish being <laughs> about two and a half inches long. So that little tiny uh, yellow perch can keep a kid fishing for hours. It's pretty cool technology. Uh, I don't have the money right now for the really good quality cameras, so I, the ones I'm buying are uh, are kind of just mediocre. And I okay. think if I had a high-quality camera that wouldn't pick up all the debris and fuzz in the water, it would be really great. But every yeah, okay. d- every piece of dust and detritus picks up on those lenses, and it it, get, it gets cloudy really quickly. So if you're not in crystal clear uh, water, it's kind of a it's a lot of effort. But they're super cool when it yeah, works. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. Have you cool. used them for – I mean, you, you don't need them because you're diving, but – I mean, all of us use kind of GoPros now. Yeah. Um, you know, Go, Go, GoPro have just like opened up the underwater world. Now, a lot more people are curious about spearfishing and freediving because of it, I think, and scuba diving in general. It's just made the whole thing a lot more accessible for everyone. Uh, I think the, the, the new cameras that are coming up with for line fishermen and pole fishermen to use are doing kind of the same thing um, because I don't have enough patience to do line fishing. I run out of steam pretty quick. Oh, I, I, I need to catch fish. That's why we use the technology to, to help find the fish yeah. faster. Let's talk about uh, getting started with spearfishing. So let's, let's come up with like a few. I'm brand new at spearfishing. I want to get into uh, it. Can we, can, what, are, what are like five things a new Spearo has to know to jump into the fly, to, to spear fishing world. Okay, can we, right. can we distill it down? I know there's a, you have a book which we can buy, but let's. Uh, no, no, no. Cool, five cool. Tips. Um, when I started, I had like a background with like competitive life saving and and swimming and all sorts of stuff. I was kind of a water baby, so um, I already had kind of an advantage. Um, and I'd spent a lot of time in diving pools, you know, holding my breath and competing against my brothers, so I had a little bit of an advantage, but. Um, but it wasn't enough. Uh, what I realized was, you know, you've really got to learn how to hold your breath. And so many of us don't know how to do that. Um, so, I mean, you can go online, you can go on YouTube and have a look at full breath, how to do a full breath. And I mean, even yoga fanatics and altitude trainers and all these kind of people, athletes, are learning how to breathe properly because it's so good for your mental health and everything else. So one of the great things about spearfishing, but to learn a fast track is to do a freediving course. They teach you how to breathe. They teach you how to hold your breath and they teach you how to do it safely. Because How, um, how long can you hold your breath? Uh, at the moment, like having not been in the water <laughs> or done any training lately, probably still about three minutes, pretty comfortable. Um, but you know, like back in the day, you know, a year, a year and a half ago, uh, f- over four and a half minutes. That, um, and I wouldn't, I don't, I don't, compared to other guys, I'm not remarkable at all. Some like when you do a little bit of training, you quickly realize, um, you know, it, it kind of just about everyone can do it. Um, unless you've got some medical condition, it's just about relaxation and, and, and I mean, there's techniques to learn. Uh, but I was going to say the other thing is hyperventilation, you know, which is like over breathing. Because the the main trigger for breathing is carbon dioxide. It's not a lack of oxygen, so you've really got to learn how to how to breathe safely without hyperventilating. Because if you flush all the carbon dioxide out of your body, your early warning systems that you need to breathe are, are gone, and you, you'll 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 have a blackout, which is you know how how guys die. So doing a freediving course covers heaps of these bases. So I'd say number one, do a freediving course. Okay, got it. Number one, number two. All right. Number two, I would say definitely find a buddy, you know, or, or even a community of buddies, you know, where, you know, it's not like someone will lay out, you know, step by step everything you should do. But quite often, if you're in a community, you'll get three steps from, you know, John, five steps from Roger and two more steps from Sally. Yeah, And and, then, and, yeah. and actually, uh, Noob Spiro has a private Facebook group that yep. people can join and, and be part of your community, right? And they can ask you questions and be in part of that, right? Yeah, and the thing I like about our group now is guys are starting to like message in and say, "Oh, hey, is anyone live in this area?" And then you get this organic conversation. They don't even want me involved. They're just like, "Yep, yeah, we all dive in, you know, um, Florida. Uh, we're in this area here, and away they go." And uh, I mean, even though we're an Australian-based podcast, we've got kind of listeners everywhere, so it's great. And uh, yeah, so that's one way to find a community. There are spearfishing clubs around. And uh, so there's, there's, there are some fast ticket ways to do that, but search social media. Uh, the, the forums, there are some useful forums for finding a community, but that will definitely fast track your learning. Um, okay. Number three, I would say, uh, 
you know, dive with different people and in different places. Um, if you dive the same place every week, you'll you'll experience the same conditions or fairly similar conditions, and and you won't you won't you won't experience enough different um, situations and species to improve. And I th- I think that can rapidly uh, decrease your your um you know your your kind of your learning curve. Yeah, just like anything else, diversity uh, is what gets us the fastest yeah. learning, right? That's fantastic. Good. Yeah. Four. I, I would honestly do the community thing as well before I went and bought equipment because you don't know anything when you're starting and we all start from the same place. So there's no shame in it. You're just starting off. So I think you need to find some reliable people to ask about what equipment you should buy for the area you're in. And I would say your local dive shop is going to be far better for that than going online and buying your gear. When you're a little bit more experienced and you know exactly what you want, you can go online and save a bit of money. But I think your local dive shops, your local spearfishing shops are your bread and butter. And I'm not talking about a general sports shop uh, where there's no spearfishermen on staff. I'm talking about a specialist spearfishing store because they know exactly what they're talking about. They know the area and they'll tell you what you should buy. I, I, I did the opposite. I went in and, and bought a spear gun. It was cheap. And uh, and the guy said, no, nah, no, nah, trust me, buy this spear gun. It was like $100 more. But I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I just want to get started, man. I want to do it as cheap as possible. So this is what I'm going to buy. And, you know, six, seven months later, I went back and bought the exact same spear gun he initially recommended. So I actually wasted uh, $280 on my first spear gun. Um, you know, what's, what's funny about that is we, we all do that with everything new we try. We always yeah. go, well, I'm going to buy that cheap one and try it out. And then three months later, gosh, I wish I bought a better microphone for podcasting. I wish I bought a better recorder. Or, <laughs> it's the same game. It's, I should have, yeah. I should have asked first and bought the good stuff, you know, but we never do. We never learn. We're human. We're just, yeah, we're, dumb. Yeah, we're yeah. just dumb. <laughs> well, I think like we're blokes too. Like a lot of us are guys and we don't really like being without any knowledge or information. That's why we don't like taking on new sports and, you know, and it's, it's a, I think it's a bit of a bummer really, but. Like I said, yeah, it's an ego thing. Um, so I guess, yeah, number f- number five, I'd say, you know, um, find a consistent source of good information. Um, you know, there are, there are some good blogs online. Have a look around, and uh, you know, listening to podcasts is a great way to to um, to learn anything. You know, whatever you're into, if you listen to a podcast and the information's in your head, it's turning over in the background. You can do it on your way to work. Um, you know, it's just so convenient. Like, why not? Whether it's fishing, the Fish Nerds podcast, whether it's a marketing and you're listening to a marketing podcast, whatever you like. You know, I just think uh, find a good source of information. You know, whether it's reading or it's or it's listening to a podcast or even videos on YouTube, there is some good stuff around. And um, after a while, you start to sort out what what is good and what's not good. But again, like a community uh, can help you out, kind of s- sifting through what's rubbish and, and what's not. It's funny you reminded me when you said that listening to podcasts. I remember the Matrix the movie, The Matrix. And yeah, they, yeah. they plug in the back of Nero's head or whatever they plug in, and he learns karate. I always think pod- podcasts are like that. Like I plug oh, in my yeah. headphones, and in an yeah. hour I know about spearfishing because of this, the yeah. Noob Spiro podcast, or an hour I know about you know yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. topic happens. It's kind of amazing. Or Great even analogy. worse, I know less because of some podcasts. Or you know, yeah. it happens as well because <laughs> you can also plug into stupidness, which is um, one of my hobbies lately is listening yeah. to dumb people. So yeah. I've been obsessed yeah. with the Flat Earth podcast lately. So that's my my. Uh, Oh, I don't wow. believe they're ever this flat, but I love I love listening to the uh, backwards logic of people. So yeah, totally yeah. fun. I love all that junk. All right, so oh, I've wow. put together a, a a little fish quiz for you to, okay. before we before we wrap the show up. I always like to kind right. of play little games. And cool. I got to find my quiz here. <laughs> I'm uh, nervous. Oh, you should totally. This is a real test of yours. So as you know, fish around the world have stupid names. Yeah, we don't. Uh, we do, local locals don't know the names of their fishes, and uh, and so they they give them, they make up names that don't make any sense at all. So I'm gonna read yeah. you some names of fish uh, from the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, these are all yeah. gonna be ocean fish, and I'm gonna let you guess the real name of the fish. Okay. Okay. What what species it is, and you don't have to get okay. down to scientific names. You can just give us the common. Species names, and they're all fish you should know. Even and some of these fish are, are down are out your way in Australia as well, uh, because okay. they're pelagics. So they travel around the ocean. I just need to get that open. Here we go. All right, just wait for my computer to load it up. Here, this is no problem. All right, you ready? 
Yep, far away. All right. First one, uh, I'll give you an easy one to start with. It's a candy striper. Candy striper. Stripe bass. Uh, so that would be one of the uh, – yeah, that's not it. That was a good guess. So I have, I'll give you some choices. Uh, red snapper, lane snapper, or a striped bass, which I've already told you is wrong. So – so it's a red, red snapper. snapper or it's the lane snapper, which is a fish I don't know, but I guess they're very stripy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. How about uh, chopper? A chopper. And I'll give you the multiple choice. We have a tog, a tatog, a bluefish, or a mako shark. Which one's a chopper? It'd have to be the mako shark. It's the bluefish. Wow. And okay. in, in Australia, what are they called? Uh, no idea. Tailors. Ah, okay. Bluefish yeah. and Taylors. Ah, yeah, okay. same, same ah. animal, different name. Local names, they don't make any sense. Some yeah, guy named yeah. Taylor got bit and named the fish. Um, oh. How about a slime eel? We have a, a American eel, sea lamprey, or hagfish. Slime eel. Uh, American eel. Uh, no, it's hagfish. Now, hagfish can produce like five gallons of slime per animal when you pick them up. So that's the, the slime so is that, eel. Is that zero from three? Yeah, you've not done well. Okay. But but That's everyone's cool. a winner, so I'll, I'm at the end. We'll see how you do. Uh, how about a uh, – this one you'll know. A crab cruncher, and this is local to uh, Alabama. Crab cruncher. The fish is not local to Alabama, but the name is Alabama. Uh, cobia, toadfish, or amberjack? Uh, must be an amberjack. Uh, no, it's cobia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a big it's a big mullet, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I I did some work last year with the Virginia Aquarium and we were I don't doing know why I said we were doing work with the cobias down there, and they had them trained to eat. Um, from, they had would hold these paddles under the under the water, so a yellow yeah. or a green or a striped one, and yeah. each individual cobia knew its paddle, and they'd mm. swim up to the paddle and they would hand feed it a crab. Yeah, in yeah. front of the paddle every time, so they could check it for lice or for parasites or whatever health issues. Pretty amazing. And I'm actually, you, I mean, you I'm, must come across actually, cobia in your spear world, right? Yeah, we do. I've never speared one, but I will say, in hindsight, I'm actually a little embarrassed that I said amberjack because you know you can see from looking at the fish that it's not really a bottom feeder. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we do, we do. And you know, I mean, your part of the world's kind of notorious for shooting cobia off the back of big bull sharks. Guys Gosh. seem to love doing that. And yeah. uh, it's it's crazy type of spearfishing, that's for sure. Yeah, and they're big. They're they get huge. I mean, they're mm. no joke. Uh, yeah. How about a uh, a yellow mouth trout? Yellow mouth trout. And the choice would okay. be uh, codfish, weak fish, or Atlantic salmon. Weak fish. Yellow. Weak fish, right? Which is not even in the trout family, right? Okay. Not, but it is totally a weak fish. Yep. Uh, how about a yodeling trout? <laughs> yodeling trout. Uh, and uh, the choice would be a uh, spotted sea trout, a weak fish, or Atlantic crooker. Uh, what was the name of it again? Uh, yodeling. yodeling let's trout. go with the croaker one because it's it's got some sort of verbalizing going on there. All right. We're going to end with that one. You got one right. You are a winner. Uh, <laughs> that's the the low bar the fish nerd set for winning our fish quiz is getting one question right. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've probably set a new low. Con- congratulations. <laughs> All right, we have to we have to wrap this up because I have to go to work. Go. We'd like to we'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast. We go on fishing quests and doing all the silly things that nerds do. Special thanks to Shrek from the Noob Spiro podcast. You can go to noobspiro.com and check out the show. We're getting on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Also, don't forget, go to fishners.com, click on the show notes, click through to the Kickstarter campaign, and support this book. If you like fishers and you like art and you like photos of fish or you like killing things, this is the book for you. Get on there. Give them some money. If you can't give enough money to buy a book, give them a dollar. Uh, that goes a lot lot farther in Australia than does in the United States. So just give them a freaking dollar <laughs> and move on. So it's all good. <laughs> Legend Clay, thanks for having me. So until next until next time, I've really had a, a great time, by the way. Follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. Thanks, Clay. Awesome, awesome chat. 
you did it. You made a fish nurse podcast. Thanks for coming on. I want to. Um, I'm going to come on your show in the future. Yes. Um, you are. During so in April and May, we start spearing for white suckers in New Hampshire. And so I'm going to come on and tell stories about spearing for suckerfish in New Hampshire. And I actually have some GoPro footage where I strapped a GoPro to my spear and threw it into the spawning suckers. And I have oh, a good, good, good video I can share with you guys and, and tell it. you what that's about and talk about how to cook the wor- one of the worst tasting fish in this day. So, yeah, cool. Maybe we can talk a little bit about fish biology and some fun stuff like that. That'll be cool. Uh, I love it. We'll, we'll nerd it up a little bit. So, hey, thanks for coming on the show. I have to go to work. I can't chat. Good. All right. <clears throat> Three, two, welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fishing Guard, Fishing Guard, <laughs> Fishing Guide. Uh, <laughs> I can't even get it right. I'm going to start over again. <laughs> nah, you can be a good. I, I like I'm a, I'm a good. I'm a good. Three, two, one.